0: just me or has society gotten a lot more sensitive over the last few years don't get me wrong there have been a lot of necessary important changes but comedy seems to have become the unintended victim of a larger societal shift the line between funny and offensive seems to be continuously moving so much that being on the wrong side of that line has been a constant fear for me joking around has always been a big part of my life but I started to feel like I couldn't bring that side of me to work anymore. At the time, I told my close friends and business partners, I hate work me. If I saw work me on the street, I'd punch him in the throat. But really, I was miserable. And I started to wonder if we'd lost the ability to joke around at work at all. So I decided I needed to find a way to bring funny back, but with a big difference. I needed to define what was, and more importantly, what wasn't, okay to joke around about. I'm Ian Ash, co-founder at Dig Insights, a fast-growing market research and data science firm based in Toronto. And I'm taking the serious out of serious business. This is Funny Suits You. In our first episode, looking at humor in the workplace, I spoke with someone who straddles both the comedy and business worlds. Ron Tite is the founder and CEO of Church and State, a successful advertising agency based out of Toronto, who, as it happens, is also a professional comedian, speaker, and author. In addition to being a great guest for this topic, Ron is an all-around nice guy who actually makes me laugh. So enough preamble, let's get going. I started by asking Ron about some of his recent experiences as a keynote speaker. Do you feel like you get away with more when you're a keynote or less? Like I think to me one of the funniest things I've ever seen was Ricky Gervais hosting the Oscars. Like yep. I felt like he thought he could go in there and be Ricky Gervais and he just lost all permission. Kind yeah. of like you do, kind of like you do at work. Yeah. You lose all permission to touch anything that's actually really that funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can get away with more as a keynote. Because you, well, one, you can make more demands because the notion of a keynote is that you're getting an outside perspective for the organization or for the conference. So like an example, I, you know, I was up for a gig at Pepsi and the way it typically works is they say, you know, we're looking at three different people and can we have a call and talk about your content and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so then they get back and they're like, hey, we, it's going to be you. I'm like, great, it's awesome. And they're like, there's just this one small tiny thing. um, <laughs> Somebody saw you somewhere and said, you have a bit on Coca-Cola. Right. And we just need you to remove that piece of content. Right. And then, you know, we're good to go. And I said, no. Oh, not good for it. you. Yeah, I was that's like, not like... doing it. And they're like, uh, we're Pepsi. Like, we don't want you to talk about Coke to our people. And I said, well, the reason you're getting me is that I'm an outside speaker. And the second you start to censor... What I say, what's the point of having an outside speaker? If you just want me to trot out the, your messaging, Right. save yourself the 15 grand and get your VP to deliver it. Right. I don't want to do it. But I mean and, that... And, I mean, and, and, and they're like, oh, you might not get the gig. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine with not getting the gig. I would understand why you wouldn't give me the gig. Right. They're like, okay, you can do it. You wow. Can do it. And, I, and I delivered the message with code. So, but whereas a host... Or for the Coca-Cola CMO summit, for example, where it's like it's not Coke people, right? It's Coke customers. There's another layer of, of sensitivity there, where it's like, look, I don't want to make you look like assholes in front of your customers. I get that, so I wouldn't do if it was Pepsi's customers, I wouldn't do Coke stuff. Right? That's just not cool. But if it's Pepsi hiring me to speak to Pepsi people, fuck you. I get to say what I want to say, and if you don't want me, that's totally cool. I don't need your gig.
0: Right. I mean, that's the fun part of what you get to do, which is that you get to go, you know, if you do a, a show, yeah, you're the one who's determining what you're allowed to say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, I mean, and again, I'll, I'll talk about Ricky Joyce. He's not my favorite comedian, but I, right. I, I like his stance on this particular subject, which mm-hmm. is he says, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Yep, And I think that seems to be a pretty common theme in comedy right now, which is that anyone in the audience can tweet, I'm offended that you made a joke about you know, yellow shoes because yep. my uncle makes yellow shoes. Yep. And suddenly they need to make a public apology. Yep. And so do you find yourself being more careful?
1: Uh, l- Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit different in keynote world where, again, because just a corporate audience is a different audience. So people, they're wearing their corporate hat. Mm-hmm. And there are even different iterations of that where, like, if it's, an organization exclusively those people, they have their inside jokes, Mm -hmm. right? And so I can do a little bit of a subtle hat tip to a joke without actually making a joke and they all get it. Right. And they won't be offended because I didn't actually cross the line, even though I hinted at it and alluded to it. Mm -hmm. Other times, if it's a conference setting, there are people from different organizations and there are a lot of people there on their own Mm -hmm. where they don't have the legacy of being the person who's a good person Like where everybody in the the audience knows what they stand for. Right. And so they're a little more hesitant to laugh at something that's a little more risque because they don't want that to indicate that they're an asshole in every aspect of their life. Right. So you just have to play it that way. You just know what the response is going to be. And you can get uproarious laughter in one audience and nervous silence in another, yet still fundamentally getting the same internal intellectual response from the audience. It's just, there's a concern over how they voice that response. Right. And so you just know that you, that you're right. You know, I've always loved the Chris rock approach, which is the way out of potentially offending somebody is to double down on it. <laughs> right. And to go, you know, and a, you know, like a great Chris rock out for that is like, that's right. I said it and I'll say it again. Right. And, and so it's like, I'm not backing yeah. down. Right, and so he overcomes that initial hesitation by doubling down on it and going, "I don't care what you think." You know, I mean, he gets the luxury of being a millionaire, a multi-multi millionaire. But I think yeah. that the reason he's a multi-millionaire is because when he wasn't a multi-millionaire, he had the same approach.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. But do you worry that maybe things have shifted so much that he couldn't, he wouldn't be as successful now?
1: Nope. No. I su- I certainly think there has been a shift in comedy. Yeah, but I don't think it's been a shift to people feeling like they can't say the thing that's on their mind. Last night at the in just for laughs in Montreal was the nasty show. Right, that was wall to wall insults of stuff that people are going to be offended by. Right, a hundred percent, and it's totally fine because just that's rip
0: torn, just full on insult yeah. comedy attack. That's and that stuff is hilarious. The yeah. difference is they get to choose to be there, you know. Where the shift I think has had a bigger impact is the workplace. Yeah. Because they don't people don't choose. Well, I mean, to a certain degree, they could quit, but that's not a great yeah, option yeah, for yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't get to choose to watch you make jokes at the workplace. You're there. Yep. And if you make a joke, they hear it. And if they're offended, there's a big impact. I mean, certainly I've found there's been a giant shift. I'm much more careful about what I say in the workplace. And I I don't think I ever made jokes that were. Particularly offside But the line has moved so much That sometimes I'm not even sure What is and
1: isn't offside Yeah I think um, Well there's there's two things One is that like the role of comedy Traditional stand up comedy Mm -hmm. Philosophically Is that we need somebody Out in front to poke And to illuminate The humor of something In hopes of social change and progress
0: Right? Like like Yeah, the Lenny Bruce school of freedom of speech was protected partially by stand-up comedians at a certain point in time. And but to me, that paradigm is has kind of it's gone. Like I don't think people think of comedians as sort of stalwarts of social change and free speech anymore. They think of them as people who are sort of nastily poking fun at the downtrodden and people who need to be censored. And I you know, I, I could be wrong about that, but I certainly the zeitgeist the social media world tends to certainly think that it's yep. it's just constantly I'm offended. I'm upset. How could he say that? You know, peanut allergies are terrible. You can't make yeah, fun yeah. of people with peanut allergies. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know, I almost wish I had peanut allergies yeah, so yeah, I could yeah, make yeah, more yeah. fun of it.
1: Yeah. Um yeah I don't know. I don't I mean I think that that certainly exists, but I don't know that that has had an effect on comedians. I mean Dave Chappelle's bird revelations is him looking at the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. from an entire 360. And I think he's the first person to be able to do it. Right. So I think that philosophy of stand-up and stuff, I think that still exists. I think it's still protected. Um, Now, when you translate that into the work environment, Mm -hmm. I think what shifted is that, you know, it used to be the number one rule of comedy, of course, is know your audience. And in the workplace, I think we assumed that we were all speaking to the same audience, that everybody was the extroverted white dude who that was an organization, those people had the power, they were in leadership positions, they got to tell the jokes and they told the jokes as if they were telling them to other dudes like you and I. And then I think what happened is like across, just cross-culturally, including the workplace, we started to step back and go, oh, maybe that's not the audience. Like maybe the audience is way more diverse than that. I mean, even if you look at what Susan Cain wrote in her book, Quiet, where it's just like in business, there are these two completely different groups of people. There's the introvert and there's the extrovert. And the introvert for years had no role within organizations. Mm -hmm. They weren't spoken to. They weren't addressed. They weren't up for promotions. All those things because it was an extroverted world. Right. So extroverts had the control of the organization, and I think we defined the organization by those people, when in fact it was still a whole half of other people in organizations who had a role to play, but we did they weren't identified. And so what's happened now, why we have to be a little more careful in humor is because now the audience is actually representative of who the audience actually is. And I don't think half the audience finds that joke funny anymore or they don't or they or maybe they're offended or what or whatever right but right. all i know is that like i haven't heard anybody in those smaller groups stand up and say it's a shame that we can't laugh the way we used to i think it's dudes like you and i who are saying it's a shame we can't laugh like we used to right
0: yeah i think that's the part where everyone kind of rolls their eyes cuz yeah. and and I, to be honest this is something i was worried about in talking to you so yeah. saying Okay, we're two old, successful white dudes yep. talking about oh how we can't make jokes anymore. And yeah. I think the automatic stereotype is that we're like in a back room with big cigars, chuckling at the downtrodden about right, right, oh right, I right, wish right, we yeah, could yeah. take more money from everyone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's not that's the not world not that we're living it. in. No, the world that we're living in is we want everyone to feel like it's a nice place to be. I yep. mean, you're there for you know eight, nine, ten hours a day. Yep, and I think the thing we forget is even the introverts. I mean the ability to laugh is innately human to the point where it exists in every culture and every person in the entire world. It's the second thing you do, you cry and then you laugh. And so we're hardwired to laugh. It connects people. It makes them feel part of a group. It gives them all, all these important positive benefits. But I think to me, the biggest difference should be, are we laughing at them or with them? Right. Right. Which was why. I mean historically Freud had this definition. He said it was wit and humor. Yeah. And he called wit sort of this mean-spirited sense of superiority and humor was this beneficial collaboration. Yeah. And so I think humor should be okay.
1: I I totally agree. Yeah. And I think I think we that you know there's always an overcorrection and then we'll and then we'll come back a little bit, right? And I think that yeah, there were serious organizational benefits that came out of a workplace culture that could laugh at one another. Right. And we may be in an overcorrection zone and maybe we, you know, maybe we need that before we bring it back. There's certain like, like, you know, I'm a funny guy who, yeah. you know, when I look back at some of the jokes I make, I'm going, Oh, <laughs> like, I can't believe I said that when I was 25. Um, but it doesn't mean that Everything I said when I was 25 was inappropriate. Right. And that we've we have kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater in some ways. Yeah. But does the, I think we'll get back. I, I hope mean, we'll I know get that back.
0: yeah, I know that traditional argument of the pendulum swings too far in the other yeah. direction before it comes back to the middle. But sometimes I don't think that serves a positive social purpose. I mean, even outside of comedy, I mean yep. socialism in China and Venezuela, sometimes going too far is just going too far, right? Yep. Like sometimes Certain workplaces, I don't think I don't know. I don't know a church and state's environment. Yep. Uh, and I know I think we've done a good job at Dig at least of of trying to keep things still light. But some of my clients, I go in there and it's like it's like a funeral in
1: there. Right. right like yeah, yeah.
0: everyone's afraid to talk. Yeah. It's just downright depressing. Yeah. And so I think in some places, I mean, government was always bad. And I also think it divides people. I think you now divide offices into people who get jokes and people who don't get jokes, right? Yeah. yeah. So what do you do here to make sure that doesn't happen?
1: Um, a couple of things. One, I try and make the joke about me. Personally, I try and make the joke about me. Yeah. You know, like I will have a line that gets a laugh every time because I'm notoriously late and I'm always, you know, behind and stuff. And if it's a client meeting, it's a 10 o'clock meeting and I show up at 10, 12. I will start walking the room by saying, sorry, this is the 10-12 meeting, right? This is the meeting that started at 10-12. Good. Shh. Okay, I'm on time. And be like, ha, ha, ha. You know, I, so that's a way out of the like, but basically what I'm saying is I know I'm late. I'm totally calling out the fact that I'm late. Um. So that's one. The second thing is that um the use of language I think is really important. You know, we just had a pitch last week and w- the organization that we were pitching said, why do you think we should choose you? And we went around the room and four people said, well, it's because we're a nimble organization who, you know, like insert all the buzzwords, (laughs) We do agile, dynamic We do, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it came to me and I said, no bullshit. Right. And that's how you get to great work, that there's no bullshit between clients and agencies. We just are adults about it and we have the conversation. And I consciously will say bullshit and not no crap because those are the things you're not supposed to say in meetings. You're not supposed to swear in meetings. We've all been taught that. Right. And I think when you do the things that you're supposedly not supposed to do yeah. consciously, it cuts through the noise. And I think it's way more honest and it makes sure that you don't end up saying the script that every other agency or every other business leader says, and so I'm really conscious about using language but do you uh, think, as an advantage.
0: But how about your clients? I mean, have they have they become more like careful about humor in advertising? Are they to the point now where it's like, yeah, we'd rather support like you know saving the whales. Like that's can we go there? Can we just tug at heartstrings and forget about the laugh because the laugh is way too risky?
1: in some ways, yeah, I agree with, yes, just, you know, I think there's a valid point to be made of like, how have, have we stopped laughing in advertising? Advertising used to be really funny, really funny. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I remember a Budweiser spot from a few years ago done by a Canadian agency that was just successive kicks to the groin, right? Like like <laughs> Which is it's universally funny. Universally Never fine. stops there being is funny, Nothing funnier than a kick to the balls. No, no. As long as it's not your own balls. Right? As long as yeah. it's not your own balls. Yeah. But nothing funnier than a kick to balls. Yeah. Um and so we have lost it a little bit. But I don't think that's an advertising problem. I think that um if you look at comedy right now. Yeah the really compelling comedy. So you take somebody like Adam Sandler. Okay. The most juvenile comedian of all time. Yeah. Fart jokes, pee-pee jokes, balls jokes. Adam Sandler in his special, 100% Fresh on Netflix, goes directly from miming 69ing Rob Schneider for a song (laughs) called... Station 69, Okay, about two astronauts in space. He goes directly from that to a beautiful, amazing song in honor of Chris Farley, where I personally cried watching it. And there's nothing funny about the song. It is just a beautiful tribute to Chris Farley. We go from that. We go from Hannah Gadsby, who in the middle of a stand-up set says I'm going to stop being the butt of my own jokes. We hear Mike Birbiglia, who finishes Thank God for Jokes, with a plea to his audience to not quote him out of context. We have Bo Burnham, who kind of ends his last special with with the final lines. Part of me loves you, part of me hates you, part of me needs you, part of me fears you. So I think in comedy, in general, we have gone from saying we know the role of comedy, we can make people laugh. But it's really powerful when we can use comedy to set people up for something more emotional. Right. And that the really powerful comedy is now not in the moments of hilarity and laughter, but in the moments of silence that follow those moments of hilarity and laughter. That's where the true power comes from. And we're getting into all these debates of, well, is that stand up? Like, is Hannah Gadsby's in the net? Is that actually stand up? And that's like saying, Well, if Lululemon opens a wellness restaurant, is that Lululemon because that's not apparel? Like, that's not the point. The point is that if you have a purpose, you should use emotion to get people there. And sometimes that emotion is silence and crying and introspection, and sometimes it's laughter. And it's more about the emotional journey, and that's the real power of performance and, and art is emotion.
0: Yeah, but sometimes you just want to see someone get kicked in the balls. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think I think like anything in advertising now, it's not that we're stopping that no one's laughing anymore. No. It's that the trend is just that we all want to talk about equality in the environment. But I think that but I think that's just a trend. Just yeah. like visual puns were a trend five years ago. Sure. You know, and I don't know that we've forgotten to kick people in the balls. I just think we've moved on to other things that are more trendy.
0: Everything is meant now. Like the reality is, and your brain probably works the same way. If I hear something, my brain automatically jumps to the funniest punchline. It doesn't mean I mean it. Like it's not what I actually believe. It's just the funniest thing to say. In that moment, yeah. right? Like, I don't really want to drop kick your your dog over the fence, right, but it's right, funny. Right. Yeah, the, yeah, totally. the visual of it is funny, yeah. And so you say it, and then and then people are offended. So I think yeah. you've lost permission to say things that are funny just because they're funny. Yep. You now have to mean what you say. <clears throat> so sort of turning it around back again to the workplace, what do you do? You said you, you know you, you try to make the joke about yourself. Obviously, there's topics that are just completely off.
1: Off. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I just. Um... There are certain topics that are more serious in tone that I will, I will go for the punchline, yeah. but not to the corporate audience. Right. Right. So here's a perfect example or maybe not perfect example, but it's the one that came to mind. I remember a few years ago, somebody I worked with came up to me at an event, mm-hmm. literally standing next to me at a urinal. Yeah. This person didn't report to me directly. But his boss was my equivalent. Right. So I was a VP, creative director, and he reported to another VP.
0: My favorite time to make an offside statement, by the way. Besides someone at a urinal, there's no better time. No
1: better time, right? So he comes up to me standing at a urinal and asks me if I want to do cocaine. Whoa. If you love cocaine, and I'm not holding that against anybody. <laughs> I don't love cocaine. I don't do cocaine. I've never done cocaine. Were you wearing cocaine. your got
0: cocaine shirt? I like, I've never, logo I've never done it? cocaine. I've no. never
1: indicated that I love cocaine or want to do cocaine. But he came up and was like, do you want to do cocaine? And yeah. I, And I said, dude, you got to know. Who in the room does cocaine <laughs> before you ask them if they want to do cocaine right. and with so you? So now you do a questionnaire at the beginning. <laughs> so, of yeah. So I'm not saying that, like I don't make those jokes, but I make those jokes to very select people right. who I know will appreciate the joke right. and I know who share that sensibility with me. Right. And that's not everybody. No, agreed. And I, and I think that's the difference now is that Before, we assumed that everybody shared that sensibility with us, and sometimes they didn't.
0: I mean, I think innuendo is off the table, regardless of how innocent you may think it is. I don't know that it is. I
1: think think it's off the table. There are people that I can make innuendo jokes No, but I
0: mean in a larger audience. Oh, 100%. In a larger audience, it's just you don't touch it. Yep. You don't touch innuendo. You don't touch anything that ends in an ism, right? You know, maybe Marxism. You can get away with a little bit.
1: There is language there. So here's a here's an example. When I um, so I became a dad for the very first time at forty eight. Wow. So yeah, <laughs> it's like I was old. But the first time I addressed it on stage, I made a joke, and it was certainly a joke on myself and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and the and the joke was yeah, my wife and I are pregnant and uh, I'm going to be a dad for the first time at 48. And in the moment, I hadn't planned to say this, but it's, it's you know the punchline that comes to me. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I was 48. After all those years, I was like, oh, that's where it goes. <laughs> right? And that was the joke. Yeah. I oh, that's it. where it goes. Yeah. Now, the reaction to the room at a conference, Shots, there were some people who loved it. Some people who loved it. <laughs> they laughed too loud. But it was a yeah. conference, and I think people aren't sure whether they can laugh in front of other people at that joke. Right. It's not even that offensive, but it's the idea that it might be. And I hadn't built up the trust of the audience in order to make that joke later. Right, I started with That's,
0: that. Yeah, right out of the gate.
1: Now I, to this day, will occasionally make the same joke, Using different language. Sure. So the language I'll now use is sometimes I'll show a picture of my kid. This is Max. But I became a dad for the first time at 48. What happens? People applaud. Oh, you became a dad. Now they like you. Right. And I now say, I don't know whether you're applauding because I have a son or because I figured it out after 48 years. Right. And that it's the exact same joke with a completely different punchline. Okay. And it's a safer punchline. So that's a very different joke because the the visualization of, oh, that's where it goes crosses a line that I didn't realize when I said it. Right. And, you know, comedy is timing. And it's not just the timing of the comedian. It's the timing of the audience to go. I get the reference immediately. Boom! I'm gonna laugh. Opposed to, uh oh, the reference might be. I gotta think about this. Some way. Some way. I I I don't know.
0: And so then it's lost. So what do you do here when that happens? Because I it happens to me all the time. I mean, I'll be at work, and something just comes into my head, and I say it because it's funny. And that goalie in my brain misses the shot, and it gets through. Yeah. And then. You know, Christy laughs way too hard. Yeah. And three other people look at me like, oh my God, yeah. you're like a terrible, terrible human being. <laughs> and you in you just immediately say, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. I low blood sugar. And yeah. then you just kind of like run out of the room, right? right. Like I I'm still not figured out the right
1: recovery. Your reaction to your joke is an indication of how other people should respond. So... The very first time I decided I was going to bring a guitar on stage, this is on as a comedian, not as a speaker. So as a comedian performing at the Rivoli, I play guitar and I think I want to try this out. I want to. And so I was working with a director on my standup at that point. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're either going to love exploring the musical side of your comedy or you're going to fucking hate it. (laughs) And you'll never pick up a guitar on stage again. That's the way it's going to either one of those two ways. So I write a a custom song. I do a 20 minute set and I'm going to, I'm going to end with this song. And I stepped to the microphone with my guitar and I realized at that moment that I've never played guitar standing up before Hmm. in my life. I just played in my house, sitting on the couch or whatever. And I was so nervous and I completely fucked up the song. And of course, my reaction to my fuck up was the thing that told the audience how they should respond. I'm uncomfortable. I'm realizing right. I'm totally screwing up. Right. And then they were all silent and uncomfortable. You just right? turn into Howie Mandel like instantly. <laughs> yeah. And so when I debriefed it with my director, he was like, had you owned the mistake as if you had intentionally made the mistake? Right. That's really funny. The guy who does this glorious setup of how he's now gonna bring the guitar. He can't play guitar. That's really funny. Right. And so the next week said, I wanna challenge that. And I did it again, not the same song, but I did it again, where I purposely fucked up playing the guitar, consciously fucked up playing the guitar and completely owned it. And it was really, really funny. The ruling comedy in organizations and in on the stage is that nobody actually gets offended anymore. They only get offended on behalf of other people. So if you make a joke uh, about uh, the person in accounting, right. it's not the person in the accounting that hates it. It's everybody else who goes, I can't believe you'd say that about Daryl. <laughs> and they yeah. feel bad for Daryl, even yeah. though Daryl loves it. Daryl's terrible. Daryl's right. So if you go to Daryl and go high five... You hate that, right? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, right, right on, right?
0: I mean, other than saying, uh, are you a stand-up comedian in an interview, what do you do to try to maintain the culture so that people do feel like they can, they can laugh here? Um,
1: I, you know, I think cultural fit is, is really important. Mm. And, and I mean that in a Lowercase c or what you know, whatever that. Not right. Not like you know, we want a bunch of people who share our culture. No, I know. But who can? Who can laugh? Basically. Who can, Well, who can? Who just? Yeah, I think laughter is one part of the and, yeah. culture, but there's probably a hundred different variables sure. there. Um, and I think can somebody um, just integrate well with the team? But to be fair, that has also meant sometimes where we've had to go to the group and say, you know, we're not a family. This is a team. Family is like unconditional love and everything else. Like the weird creepy uncle. No, we're a team. We're a team and we have respect for one another. And sometimes this can become a little too Mm cliquey. And we need, it's it's critical for us to succeed as an organization that we have completely different perspectives at the table. Mm -hmm. And that comes with people who have different cultural backgrounds. It comes to people who have different perspectives. But it also means that people who have different senses of humor. Right. And we have to protect that dynamic. And um, I think sometimes it can get a little too high schooly.
0: I mean, it can get uncomfortable, right? If there's somebody who you know is particularly sensitive, and then when they walk in the room and it's like, shh, Billy's here. Like, yeah. you can't make any jokes because Billy's here. Right. And, and that's difficult. And the larger the organization gets, the more likely that's to occur. Yep. And that's when cliques begin to happen because people tend to make more jokes around people that they're comfortable with. Yep. So, I mean, is there anything you do in the job interview itself? Is there anything you say? You don't say, by the way, I'll probably offend you in the next no. month. And- <laughs> no, but I, but
1: I I. mean, I think I have a conversation. Yeah. I, you know, um, I, I think organizations have been killed in some ways by the left brain people. Mm -hmm. We let the accountants take over and we start making decisions based on finance, which is a valid perspective to have on a decision, but it's not the be all and end all. And we've had the people who go like, these are the three questions you have to ask in an interview and you need to be able to check these boxes. And that's bullshit. It's just bullshit. It's like me saying, we're really going to need to check out your references. Right. Right. What reference has ever come back as being negative? I, yeah. You tell me who I should speak to about you. You're gonna give me somebody that's gonna really gonna no. get. Give... No, you're not. You're much just much better chance of looking at
0: their Facebook page and figuring yeah, out what exactly. they're able really to.
1: Yeah. Or, or like, what's your biggest
0: weakness? <laughs> like all I'm these. I'm too perfect. Yeah. And I never hand it in until it's
1: perfect. I get greater insight yeah. about a person saying, what'd you do on the weekend than I do about what, if you're a pickup truck, what pickup truck, like, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, that could be insightful though. Cause if
0: they're the new Ford F-150, made yeah. of aluminum. I know. yes That's, that's right. Right. something. You got a heavy That's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that's but something. I think, I think that's, that's like, it really is tied to our conversation. Cause like people who like, they go, I need to know what the script is. And I don't want to veer from these five things. Cause I don't trust myself when I veer from these five things. That is comedy. Yeah, Comedy is veering from the script. It is all about the unexpected. Yeah. And you need to be able to do that with the understanding that sometimes the unexpected is offensive and crosses a line.
0: So which did you do first, the entrepreneurship or the stand-up? Stand-up. Yeah. And do you feel like that in any way? Do you think there's anything that lends itself to being somebody who looks at life a little less seriously? and wanting to take those types of risks?
1: 100%. The one thing that comedy does is it proves to people that there's another way to look at something. Yeah. You know, if we look at like, there's only one way to work on an ad, or there's only one way to buy media, or there's only one way to build a business. And we've all got those steps in there, right? And then when you can look at that situation and go, what if we looked at it from this angle, the funny angle, and people laugh, that's them proving that they can see it from a completely different perspective.
0: Right. Yeah, and the comedian always says, I'm not going to do it just because that's the way it's always been done. I don't think that makes sense. I don't think this cultural norm or this, this thing that everyone does is a good idea. I'm going to make fun of it or I'm going to do it differently.
1: Yeah, because the one thing that comedy has that business doesn't have is that comedy has the ultimate metric. You do your job. You get a laugh. You get a laugh. There's no, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I told the joke, but I left a voicemail, but they haven't got back to me yet. Like, there is there is none of that. Like, yeah. it is completely real time. And there's no bullshit. There's no excuses. It's you. It's a microphone. And you have to do whatever you need to do. And if you go, well, the mic didn't work or the lighting was shitty. Like, doesn't matter. No, nobody does. Does not matter. Or you couldn't play the guitar. They, yeah Yep. They didn't laugh. Right. Your fault. Thanks, Ron. This
0: Thank was, you. This Thanks, was amazing. Man. It was really great to meet you. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Funny Suits You, a not-so-serious look at serious business. Funny Suits You is written by me, Ian Ash, and is produced by the Good Folks at Church and State podcast. Thanks, Ron. You can check out my company's work at diginsights.com and connect with me on LinkedIn under Ian Ash. If there's any topics in the future you'd like me to cover, let me know. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. Until next time, I'm Ian Ash.
1: Thank you.